You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 72. Today's reading is from Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 through 22. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds. Of every creeping thing, of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Our reading today contains the story of the flood, probably one of the most recognized stories in the Bible. Father, would you discuss the implications for the flood, uh, what brought it about, what was its purpose, uh, and why God later promises never to repeat this again. (laughs) Yeah, as you said, it's a famous, well-known story, and while I appreciate your open-ended question, it gives us a lot to cover. (laughs) So I guess I'll just jump right in and feel free to ask questions of clarification as we go along. Sure, sounds good, Father. I'll begin by talking about why the flood was necessary, so to speak, from the biblical perspective. Okay, clearly the flood happened because of humanity's continued disobedience. From the beginning of Genesis, the creation of humanity, and then zeroing in on the story of Adam and Eve, and then expanding to their descendants all the way through to chapter 6 of Genesis, with rare exception, you see continued and persistent disobedience to God's commandments and to God's way of life as he asks humans to live. And so right before the passage you read today, which began at Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, you have God making a statement. And I'll never forget Father Paul Tarazzi's joke about this. Uh, You know how you see signs at football games, like with John 3.16 on them, or bumper stickers on people's cars with a Bible verse. Father Paul noted how you never see people quote Genesis 6.6, which says, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So I guess we just prefer to forget that verse. (laughs) But the preceding verse, verse 5, tells us why God regretted creating human beings. 
It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then the solution in verse 7. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. So it, it looks like you're saying, uh, or maybe rather I should say that the Bible is saying that God sent the flood to destroy those who God regretted creating, uh, specifically human beings. Yeah, that's part of it for sure, but not the only reason. And we can see that because God does not destroy quite all of creation, but he does preserve Noah and his family. He preserves one of every species who he commands Noah to take with him on the ark. And while they're on the ark, he essentially baptizes the earth, we might say, was something St. Peter picks up on in the third chapter of his first epistle when he compares the two, the flood and our Christian baptism. So while the flood was obviously mass destruction, it was not quite complete and total destruction. And why is that? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons we might highlight. First of all, the flood story is a break from the first five chapters of Genesis. So it's essentially as though we humans cannot get back to Eden, back to paradise on our own. We, through our collective sin, lost what we had access to before that, and we sort of see Eden then as an ideal. I mentioned this recently in a sermon about our fasting guidelines, why they are the way that they are, meaning why they're vegan, and you can see that in Eden, God never allowed humans to eat the animals. It was only allowed after the flood as a concession. But we can see that this situation of killing something that has life in it, the way that an animal has life in it, the spilling of blood, is not the ideal or the perfect scenario. And that's why monks in our tradition always fast for meat from the land animals because it always involves the spilling of blood, the taking of a higher form of life. So this is one reason the flood breaks us from Eden. We essentially, again, through our collective sin, cut ourselves off from what God intended. And what are some of the other reasons for the mass destruction, uh, but not the, the complete and total destruction, as you said? Well, I think another reason would be as a warning for the final judgment that God has the power to grant life, but also the power to destroy but even more so to show that we are now on our second chance, so we better be careful. The story of Eden and then leading up to the flood shows that we humans failed the first time, so we best be careful because we're being given a second chance now, and we should make the best of it by being obedient to God's commandments and living as he taught us to live. Father, before I move on to my final main question for this episode, are there any other uh, general or overarching principles about the flood that you'd like to highlight first? Yeah, I think the final thing I would say on that today as it relates to overarching principles is that in the flood story, we hear of the first covenant established between God and humanity. Because remember, God gave some commandments to Adam and to humanity prior to chapter 6, but there was no covenant. Yet notice the nature of this first covenant made with Noah and a couple of things that stick out. First of all, the covenant is an unconditional one-way covenant. What I mean by that is that Noah is not bound to do anything. This covenant was initiated by God, and God binds himself to never again destroy humanity in this fashion. And then second, related to that, note that it's a merciful covenant, a promise to be merciful. Because again, this is a one-way covenant. Noah is not required to do anything according to a covenant. It's simply binding upon God. 
And then the sign of this covenant is appropriate because the rainbow is uncontrollable by us. It appears and it disappears on its own. We as human beings have no ability to control or manipulate that. And then the final thing I want to point out as it relates to this one-way unconditional and merciful covenant is that it shows God's punishment is ultimately not for destruction, but for instruction. And we see this throughout the biblical stories where God often destroys, but the purpose is actually to instruct future generations. Thank you for that overview, Father, on the importance of the flood story. And to conclude today's episode, I'd like to discuss the ark for a moment. And if if I were to ask my children how many of each animal Noah took on the ark, they would they would probably say two. But later in Genesis, we read of God's instruction to take seven pairs of every clean animal. Now, some people have gotten into arguments about these instructions, and, and some have even said that they're contradictory. But it, it seems to me that in getting tied up into these details, we may be missing the importance of this story. Should we be so concerned about the numbers of each animal, or is there something else that we should be taking away from this story, Father, specifically regarding the role of the ark? Well, I guess my answer would be yes and no, and I say that because there are different ways to think about this issue or to approach it. So I would say no, these details are not important in the sense that they contradict from a literal reading of the text. Because as you know, I don't subscribe to this rather modern understanding that the Bible is somehow trying to tell history as we 21st century Americans would try to tell history or would want the Bible to tell history. So the Bible isn't a history book, it's not a science book, it's not a book about facts as we often think about that idea today. The Bible is about something much deeper and it needs to be read as a story, not as a way to try to figure out history or geology. So in the sense, uh, should it bother us that there's this contradiction, then I answer emphatically no. Uh, But you also said yes, so (laughs) what about these varying accounts is important. Well, I think every word of the Bible is important. I think what the authors and the final compilers of the Bible were trying to do is of the utmost importance. So I never want to completely dismiss something. And as it relates to the flood, you really have two different stories within what was combined in the Bible as we know it to be this one flood story. And you can clearly see the two stories molded together, not just in here, but throughout Genesis and other parts of the Torah. And how do you see that? Well, I'll be rather simplistic here. I don't want to, I don't think we need to get into a long scholarly discussion, but the gist of it is this. You have two references in this story and in many parts of Genesis to God. One of those references is to Elohim, which is translated into the English as God. And then the other is Yahweh, which translated into English is Lord. Okay, and so what's the importance of that distinction? Well, again, you know, we could go on and on, so I'll simplify it for now. But Yahweh, or Lord, is generally referring to what we might call or consider a tribal God. And what I mean by this is that each tribe or each group of people, of nations, had who they considered their own God. And so the idea of monotheism, of one God, was not well developed at the time of the writing of Scripture. And we know that some Semitic people had Yahweh as their tribal God. They didn't necessarily always view him as a universal God. They recognized there were other gods, but Yahweh was their God. Interesting. So what about Elohim? Well, Elohim, again, translated into English is God. So when you're reading Genesis and you see God, it's speaking of Elohim. And Elohim is this progression to the notion 
of a universal God, a God who is over all people, all tribes, all tongues. And this idea of God as Elohim, as the universal God, is given precedence in Genesis. So, for example, Genesis 1 begins with Elohim creating everything, and then the flood story that we just heard begins with Elohim, and here Elohim commands that the two animals of each species should be put on the ark. But what I really want to highlight from this is that the Old Testament gives precedence to Elohim, to the universal God. So ultimately what the Bible is proposing is what we've discussed on here so many times, and it's what Jesus seeks to accomplish. It seeks to show that in the end we're all under the one God. This God is the creator of all peoples. He's the judge of all people. We're all made in his image. And that means that instead of the constant fighting and bickering and the spilling of blood over disputes that we have with one another, we're to learn to live in peace, to sit at a table, to make friends of our enemies because Elohim, God, is above and over us all. And no one of us or any group of us is better than any others because he alone is our creator and our judge. Thank you, Father. In today's episode, we discussed the story of the flood. Father Aaron began by explaining that the flood was necessary because of humanity's continued and persistent disobedience to God's commandments and way of life. And while the flood brought about mass destruction, it was not a total destruction, as Noah and his family, as well as all species, were preserved. But the flood also separated us from Eden, from the ideal of what God intended. The flood is also seen as a kind of a baptism of the earth, which is referred to in St. Peter's first epistle. Another reason discussed for the purpose of the flood is that it was a warning for the final judgment, that God has the power to grant life and to destroy. Here we have been given a second chance, and we must make the best of it by being obedient to God's commandments and living as he taught us to live. We also hear of the first covenant established between God and humanity, an unconditional covenant that God would never again bring about this destruction of humanity. It is a merciful covenant, a promise of God to be merciful. And the sign of this covenant, the rainbow, is fitting because the rainbow cannot be controlled by us. Finally, in all this destruction, we see that God's ultimate intent is for our instruction, for God is merciful. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode.